Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, it is the halfway point in bow season. I can't believe the season's halfway over already for us. It is the first episode for us in December, December 3rd. And for a lot of the state, it's about to start cranking up into the rut. A couple areas in the state it's already passed. A couple areas in the state have got the best days lying ahead. A lot of y'all are sending in pictures of scrapes and rubs and and uh, getting videos of deer chasing and things like that. Keep sending that stuff into us. We love that stuff and kind of helps us keep track of what part of the state is, is in which stage of the rut so far. On this week's episode, we're on the phone with Josh German from Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana. I know for anybody that's been listening to the podcast for a while, that name is very familiar for you. But we're on the phone with Josh German learning about Steve German's taxidermy art, their history, kind of what separates them from other taxidermists, as well as some tips and tricks of how to provide the highest quality hide to ensure the best product back from your taxidermist that you're going to be happy with the rest of your life. But before we get started, we need to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Steve German's Taxidermy in Westlake, Louisiana, of course. They're the only taxidermist making it easier for you to transport your deer back into Louisiana by having a separate drop-off point in Vider, Texas at Ty's Taxidermy. If you're headed eastbound on I-10, drop off your deer and pick it up in Westlake ready to go a couple of months later. And also... Cousin's Smokehouse, home of the original pork jerky. They've got two flavors out there rocking right now, traditional and then cane fire. And let me tell you, if you're cold in the stand, cane fire will keep you warm. That has got a kick and a sweet heat to it as well. So highly suggest you packing that one in your bag. 
Well, let's get on to this week's episode. All right, guys, today we're here with Josh German from Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana. Josh, thanks for being on the show with us today. Hey, it's been a long time coming. Um, we really appreciate the invite, and um, we always look forward to hearing from you guys and supporting your calls and um, trying to spread the message and inform people and educate people in, in the hunting hunting industry. So. Well, we appreciate it, man. And everybody listening is, I'm sure, familiar with your name because we're, we're on episode, I want to say, 19 now. You've been our sponsor <laughs> since the beginning. I remember talking to you midsummer, telling you about how I wanted to do a podcast and uh, ask, you know, asking you to sponsor something that didn't exist yet. So thank you for, for believing in us. And it's been going great, man. We're at 20,000 downloads now. Uh, so a lot of exposure for y'all, but also really wanted to get y'all on the show. I know it's kind of might seem a little late to get y'all in, but we really wanted to get y'all on the show and talk about taxidermy, talk about your studio, talking about great work, CWD uh, regulations, and also kind of some preparation of how to bring in as quality of a cape and mount to uh, to your taxidermist for, for uh, a quality product that you're going to get back. You know, up until this point, We've really been, I mean, this is the end of, this is the end of November. This, this episode will air the beginning of December. So we're two months into bow season. We've been talking a lot about tactics and do's and don'ts and how to and hunt here, look for this, hunt this way. Here's some options for you. And everything's really been geared towards, um, we started out with like reminiscent episodes, you know, stories from last year and things kind of gearing us up to the season. We've talked about in season uh, hunting tactics and things like that. And now I thought it was a good time to bring you in and let's talk about what do we do after we kill something and we want to have it mounted and we want to have that thing, uh, uh, saved for the rest of our lives. I think it's a good time to, to start talking about taxidermy. So, um, let's, let's start off, man. Tell us how, uh, Steve German's taxidermy got started in your story. Yeah, we are at the end of November rolling into December and, uh, you, you were kind of poking fun at me um, about not having completely listened to one of, listened to one of the, the podcasts yet. And I was kind of explaining to you about the revolving door in the studio at this time of the year. <laughs> I mean, as you can about imagine, a taxidermy company the size of ours, it's um, the door is always swinging and there's so much interaction right now. So it's kind of hard to, to find the time to break away and, and um, you know, to do something like what we're doing right now. So anyway... Um, the history of Steve German's taxidermy art, it, um, it, it goes way back. We're way dated. So anyway, my dad, Steve German, he started the company in 1973. He was a, he was a collegiate athlete at Tulane, and um, my dad was a big waterfowl hunter back then. That was his passion. And my dad killed his favorite duck. It was a bufflehead, and he, he rode around town over here in the Lake Charles area looking for a good bird taxidermist at the time, and he never found anything that really met his expectations. So my dad... He went home, he froze that little buffalo head, and he went off to college. Came home from college during break, and his little buffalo head, it had freezer burned in the freezer. At that point in time, it kind of lit a fire in my dad, and he uh, he said, you know, I'm I'm an artistic guy, and I think I, this is something that I would have an interest in, and so, therefore, that's where Steve German's taxidermy art kind of began. Um, you know, he started doing it in 1973 in a small bedroom, and, and now we, we work out of a a 7,000 square foot state-of-the-art taxidermy facility that we that we designed and we built for what we do. And, um, you know, so my dad right now, he's rolling for 45 years of, of taxidermy experience. Wow. And, um, competition, 
taxidermist, a, a judge on the national level, which we can get more into that here shortly. But, um, you know, my dad's a foundation, and that's it's kind of funny. In, in 2009, I bought my dad out, and I, now I own the company. Um, and my dad kept asking me, and he said, you know, um, you know when are you going to put your name in the business? And I said, well, my name my name's not needed in a business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you built the business. It's your reputation. You know, people know who we are, and that's the recognition that we have, and that's, that's the recognition that we need. And, um, you know, that's something that I, I really I take a lot of pride in is what my dad's built and um, just quality and, and everything that he's poured out into the company. And that's what we try to represent. And that's what we uphold today with our clients. So um, as for me in the business, you know, as a little kid, you can about imagine I, I was surrounded with it. At nine years old, I won my first ribbon in competition. Very At cool. 10 years old, I won my first my first first place in competition. And then after that, you know, I played with taxidermy growing up. I was always around it. And um, I can remember as a kid sitting outside the, the shop, my dad would alter forms. I would grab the foam. I would run outside. I would sculpt and carve things and run back in and show them to him. And I, it's that kind of that, that kind of stems off into something that I'm, I'm really, um, I've really excelled at and I'm very proficient in. And that's, that is sculpting with foam and clay and different things. But um you know, and I was I was also a collegiate athlete. I was a I was a um, starting catcher for a Division One college baseball program, and I, I graduated college in 2003. At that point in time, baseball was kind of fading out, and I told my dad, I said, you know, I can't see myself working for anybody else. I want to come in. I want to work with you. We're going to grow the family business, and um, take it from there. So, we've um, I've been very fortunate in my life to be able to to get to work with my dad, who's my best friend. Um, we've hunted and fished all over the world. You can't imagine the places that we've gone, that we've seen that just the world of taxidermy has opened us up to. Yeah. So, well, tell me, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what was the business like when you started with him after college compared to today? <clears throat> after college. So <laughs> that's what, we, uh, 15 years we own ago. A, we right? own a corner in Westlake and, um, it, it's kind of funny. The, the building that we used to work in whenever I came in with my dad, well, like I was saying, in, in 1973, it went from a small bedroom, and then my dad closed in the, the garage, and he, he worked out of the garage, and then he moved up to a building up on Sampson Street, which is the main drag going through Westlake, and it was in a little shopping center. He probably had maybe, I don't know, 1,500, 1,800 square feet, and after that, he moved over to this corner where we sit right now, and the building that he acquired uh, back when there, it's right next to the middle school, which whenever my dad was growing up, it was, it was, um, I think, I think they went, um, sixth through ninth. The ninth graders still went to that campus and the building that, that we used to be in, it was like a little ice cream shop. I think it's called a sweet treat and the kids would walk over and get ice cream and stuff. So it's, it's been around for quite a while. Yeah. A historical marker in Westlake. But, um, Anyway, so he acquired that building, and he worked there as I was going through middle school and high school and college. And then whenever I came in there, you know, we were, it was time to start growing the business. It, it, it went from feeding one mouth to feeding two mouths, and then, you know, later, here comes my family. So, um, you know, we've, we, we've always been fairly well-known in the, in the waterfowl world. My, my dad is, is, is a very renowned waterfowl taxidermist. He's, he's probably one of the best in the country. And... Um, so we've always done a tremendous amount of volume in the waterfowl end. And um, we've always had a good fish business and a good game head business. And 
whenever I came into the into the business, we were probably doing somewhere around 500, 600 ducks and geese a year. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of took a hold of the fish end of things at that point in time. And I really took off and I grew the fish end of the business. And I'm, I'm pretty well known when it comes to the fish taxidermy now, especially in, over here in our area. But, um, you know, we kept spinning off and we kept improving our skills and, and learning new techniques and elevating our level of taxidermy, you know, into the into the big game side. And um, so, I mean, from whenever I came out of college, you know, we were in a very confined space. We used to come out one elk at a time and we would sit there with our fingers crossed, hoping the guy came and picked it up one time. Really? <laughs> it just kind of it kind of shut things down. And then. In 2009, when we got ready to move into our new facility, just one wall, our north wall in our work in our work area, which is 2,100 square feet with like 13 and a half foot ceilings, we had 12 elk on one wall at one time. Wow! So, so anyway, you know, with the uh, with us coming out of that new studio and coming into the big the big studio, um, you know, there was a lot of buildup and a lot of promotion and a lot of things that that, that brought us into that, you know, because we were way outside of our walls and it was kind of amazing people that, that used to go into that old studio and when they come in our, and they come in our studio now, they're just like, man, we don't, we don't know how you ever did what you did back then. Cause <laughs> we, uh, we turn, we turn out over 1500 mounts annually. Goodness. So that, that is, that is a very substantial amount of, of taxidermy that takes place. And it takes very efficient and diligent people to turn out that many. Um, you know, we have we have three full time taxidermists on staff, well, and we 50, do have some part time help that come in. Now, fifteen hundred mounts—that's ducks, deer, heads, uh, fish, fish, everything combined. Africa, right? because you know we're for twenty years now we're we're agents, we're booking agents for Zambezi Zambezi Delta Safaris, which yeah. is game hunters, bird hunters, Africa. I mean, we're doing you know two hundred fifty, three hundred animals that come in from abroad. You know, wow. every year now. So yeah, I mean, we're you're talking, you know, 500 ducks, 300, 400 skin mount fish, which is, you know, you don't really hear that anymore. A lot of these taxidermists are going to replicas because they don't want to deal with the the smell and the drying time and everything goes along with the fish. But a lot of those anglers these days, they still want their they want their skin mount fish. Yeah. So, well, so um, I mean, that many mounts a year. If I mean, if you if y'all worked every day, that would be four and a half mounts out the door every day. If you work what there's there's 251 or 250 work days during the year so you're looking at 750 sorry seven seven mounts a day you are getting out the door on average yeah yeah that's wild well i'll tell you right now my dad when it comes to birds he's he is unbelievably efficient i mean he can he can sit down and he can mount eight ducks in a day and and, wow you know he's He's got his feet propped up at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's kind of unheard of, but <laughs> that's the one thing that we've we've pretty much developed is um, an efficient way to produce very very high quality work. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm in that same boat when it comes to fish. And Brett, he's in that same boat when it comes to deer. And you know, we all kind of have our own specific areas in the studio and our our own expertise. Now we're we're all very well rounded. It's not many studios that you walk into. And you see high quality across the board. And I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but that's what we do. I mean, my dad, he is a bird guy. Mm-hmm. He um, he works on the small mammals as well. I'm the fish guy. I deal with the reptiles as well, a lot of the big game stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm the skulking guy, you know, with, 
with the amount of African and life size mounts that we do, this you're always you always have an obstacle that you got to come you got to overcome. So you know what what we used to do where it was just kind of stick it on the form and everything worked. Now we have a whole lot of more uh, a lot more artistic side of it and the whole craft of it coming out because now we have to modify mannequins and we have to build these things. Yeah. To make them fit, to make them work, because our clients are getting more specific, and you know the trophy rooms are getting bigger and they're getting more full. So we're having to modify things and make them adapt to certain areas, and um, it's really fun. And then Brett, Brett Lund, um, Brett's been with us for five years now. He's he's a award winning, you know, high honor taxidermist. He and he does all of our game heads. He mounts all of our gear. He does a lot of the African work, and you know he kind of helped tag team the small mammals with my dad. And um, Brett helps me with a lot of big projects, too, uh, whenever we're doing life-size alligators and crocodiles or um, African lions and giraffes and whatever it might be. So um, we've got a really good system. We've got a really good team. And I, I think that's one of the things that my dad and I both took from being uh, college athletes is we, we you know, it, it takes a good team, you know, to have a winning team. So. Yeah. But, uh, we're you know, we're pushing eight, 80 combined years, you know, with our full-time taxidermists in our studio and you know not to mention the guys that have been around the shop and hung around the shop for years that come in and help us we have a we have a carpenter mike burnett he he builds all our custom bases and things like that and he's in the studio just about every day um got in keith launch he uh he he's a huge asset he helps us on, on you know many different projects and um just you know good friends and and like i said we've got a great team to, awesome. to make this thing move so so let's let's talk a little bit about quality because this is something you know I'm I'm gonna so I'm gonna confess something and that's the fact that I don't have a lot of taxidermy myself. Um, I have two ducks that I was recently uh, told are <laughs> never going to be tax and they're never going to be mounted because they've been in my freezer uh, unwrapped for too <laughs> for too long. So. Uh, I might unwrap have, the problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, unwrapped, and I, and it might only be three or four, maybe five years they've been in there. So uh, uh, yeah. I think they're a little too far gone. Yeah, um, they're, they're probably light as a feather. <laughs> yeah, one. So one is a uh, one is a <clears throat> mallard hen that uh, I killed by myself on a Wednesday on public land like five years ago, and uh, I was um, bluebird day. Didn't shoot a duck all day. And I had this new cut down call. And if anybody is a duck hunter listening, you know, you know, Louisiana and cut down calling that a, a real aggressive style of calling doesn't really mix. That once they get down to Arkansas, they're pretty call shy. Um, but uh, anyway, so I had this cut down call, and I was just hammering on it. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's nine o'clock. So all of a sudden, this uh, I hear this like three, four, 500 yards through the flooded timber. And you know, you know, when there's this moment, you're like, God, was that another hunter or was that a duck? <laughs> and so, you know, you hammer on it again and, and all of a sudden, you, you know, there's a pause and then it's, oh, I'm pretty sure that was a duck. So we went back and forth and long story short, that duck swam the whole way through the woods all the way to within 20 yards of me. And I shot it as it jumped up on a log to get a look around to see where that noise was coming from. And I, sh <laughs> and so I have a mallard hen in my freezer. Cause, cause so my thing is, is um, 
I, I'll only mount something if it's a great story. I don't just mount things because they're pretty. You know, I, I have I have another pintail that has a good story behind it, too. Um, and it's a nice sprig, but even if it was a hen, I probably would have mounted it. Anyway, I the only thing that I have mounted is my big 10-point that I killed on public land a couple years ago. And um, that's the only shoulder mount that I have. And I've, I don't know how many bucks I've killed, but... I, I skull mount everything else. All right. If it's, if it's, you know, not a huge deer or it isn't a great story, it's probably European mounted and hanging in my garage somewhere. And so, um, you know, for me, I'm not very well versed in what you would maybe call quality taxidermy. I I will say I've been to your shop multiple times. I've met you multiple times and, and, you know, I'm always taken aback in a, in a, in a very excellent way as to how amazing some of y'all's work is. But can you kind of quantify what your opinion of good taxidermy is and what people should look for Mm -hmm. um, in a taxidermist and in work and, you know, finished products and things like that? Yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of fall back to what you were, what you were talking about. And I'm even going to, I'm even going to add on to some of the things that we're going to lead into here, but you know, you talked about that hen mallard and, and such a memorable, memorable experience, and um, that's basically our slogan at our studio, and it, it's preserve the memory. You yeah. know, everybody's trophy is different, and you can't imagine how many guys come in. You know, th- this day and age, we're all consumed with you know, how many inches is that deer, and oh my god, you shouldn't have shot it, and this and that, and you know, I mean, every every. It's not just a trophy because it's it's a 175 or 180 inch deer. I mean, you know, there's there's so many components that go into it, and 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 that's what you know we try to tell everybody that comes in our studio. We're preserving the memory, you know. I mean, yeah, granted, yeah, we're we're definitely doing it for the animal too, but um, you know, that, that thing tells a story. I mean, if, yeah. if we want that mount every time you look at it, we we want you to remember that. We had a guy drive in from. Um, Justin, Texas today up by Dallas, he picked up a safari. And I mean, he, he just today, he relived his, his whole first trip to Africa. And, um, you know, that's, that's what it's about. That's it's awesome. it's the memory that those memories that we make that God gives us in the field. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I can't reiterate that enough. You know, I mean, everybody's trophy is different and, and, you know, it coming from our eyes and what we deal with, I mean, we appreciate all of that. Um, you know, talking about the quality in the early eighties, my dad, he, that's when he started his, his competition run. Uh, in, in, in 1990, he won nationals. You know, there's, there's different levels of competition. I mean, you had back then you had the state levels, which it was the, the, um, LTA or, or the SLTA, South Louisiana Tax Army Association. Um, and then you have the national level tax army association. And then, and now today you have world competition where there's a platform where guys come from all over the world and they compete against each other. And so in 1990, my dad, he won nationals <clears throat> in 91. He was awarded the award of excellence, which was the highest award at that time. I think he was like the seven, 77th person to get the award. Wow. So, um, you know, I mean, and then after that, he competed. He, he competed in the Masters, and he, he won several Masters Masters competitions before shifting his concentration towards growing the business. But during that whole time period, and and um, his learning, you know, at all these competitions, there's seminars, and, and you've got some of the best taxidermists from across the country that are going there, and, and they're spilling out their secrets. And then that's something that our industry has always been, you know, 
you know, kind of reluctant to do is, is, is voice out their secrets, what makes them successful. But yeah. through the competition circuit and some of these guys, those doors really open. And so, you know, we, that was one of the things my dad did whenever he was growing the business was that, you know, he took his system, but he also implemented parts of other people's systems to, to make that more efficient to where that we are, you know, we can, we can do what we do now. Um, we were always adding to and trying and improvising and doing different things um, to, to build the efficiency, but also to build the quality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so also, you know, on the on the quality level, we we see that because we judge. You know, my, in 1990, my my dad, yeah, that's when he started judging, and he judged the state shows and he taught seminars all over the United States. And um, now he's a national level judge. I think in 2011, we. He and I and my wife, we flew up to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and we judged the national ta- uh, tax rate competition up there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you know, we our eyes see good tax I mean, we 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 rub elbows. We we are we're buddies with all of these guys across the country that are the best of the best, and um, we always have an open door with those people, and we're able to share our secrets and and make sure that our our quality is is elevated. But um, you know, one of the biggest things with good quality is just you know having attention to detail. You know, what we do is an art. And, you know, it's, it's like if, you know, any, any artist that's puts in any paint down on canvas, we're, um, that's, that's what we're working with. And, you know, attention to detail is, is a key, yeah. um, to, you know, to, to necessarily say, you know, what, what are your eyes going to be fixated on? You know, whenever you look at a deer and what am I going to see? I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be two different things yeah. uh, because of the, because of the detail that we're concerned with, you know, today's modern mannequins that we can order from from McKenzie Taxidermy Supply or any of these big guys or Second to Nature that's right there in, in, uh, in Baton Rouge, you know, good friends of ours down the road. We, um, you know, the, these mannequins have come so far that, you know, a lot of the anatomy and everything's there. I mean, you pull the skin on, line everything up, and you got a, you got a, you got a decent mount. I mean, for most people that, you know, they that don't have a lot of deer on the wall or, or, or get, uh, get anything to compare to, it's going to look like a decent mount to those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of components underneath the skin and everything that, that really make that, that mount something that's going to last a lifetime, something that you're going to be proud of. And, um, you know, but like, like I was saying, back to the attention to detail, um, studying anatomy and reference like we do on a daily basis and, and, and those type of things make you a better taxidermist. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I was in the eye, in the eyes, the eyes are the key to the soul. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I've heard. The, soul. the eyes make a mount. I mean, if you can look at an animal and you can see his eyes are following you around the room, I mean, you know that taxidermist made a proper eye set. I mean, there's there's so many little key components that we that we stick to and that we go over and we make sure that we we apply to our mounts. That um, it's kind of hard to pinpoint all of those things. Yeah, but um, well, well, uh, you know, obviously, y'all have been focusing on your own business for so long. I, I doubt. Uh, it's very often that y'all look at other people's work, um, other than in competition, maybe, which, you know, the, maybe the, the, the ironic part of that is that when somebody's submitting something for competition, you would, you would imagine it's their best effort, right? It's the best of their best. Um, but as far as like, if you just took a regular shoulder mount on a, a Louisiana eight point, um, you know, I would, I would imagine it's not very often that you're going into other taxidermy shops, uh, around Louisiana and seeing kind of some of the, just the production work, um, compared to what y'all put out every day. 
Um, yeah, but I mean, we see it. We we do see them. I mean, and, uh, and unfortunately, we have a lot that come through the door with people trying to get us to fix them. Yeah, but um, you know, we do we do see our fair share. But no, it's it's nothing like what you're describing. You know, or you know, saying that you know we're gonna we're gonna see an abundance of it by any means. Yeah. Well, so I was sp- speaking with somebody. Man, I'm trying. While you were talking, I was trying to think of who it was and how long ago it was, but. I was having a good conversation about taxidermy, and it may have been, it may have been after I got my uh, my deer mount back. Um, I don't know, two years ago almost. And to me, I think the litmus test about what you could maybe consider to be a great quality piece of taxidermy is if it if there are no distractions, meaning that there's nothing like you said the eye set earlier. If there's nothing that takes away from the realness of it, but also at the same time is a balance between, you know, not making it too uh, over the top either, like almost unrealistic in a, uh, you know how sometimes you, you, you see mounts where the deer that was killed was not in rut or did not have a big thick, you know, neck at the time, but they put it on a mount and it just looks, it just looks uh, like it's on steroids you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and so, you know, you know, you can have, a, I think you can have a, a great kind of facial mount on a, on a deer or a buck like that, where the eyes look good and the nose and the mouth look good, but you put it on this like Terminator, <laughs> you know, Hulk, yeah, right. you, you put it on this Hulk mount of a deer and it's, and it just looks like it's been taking steroids for the last five years. Um, yeah, he's, been, he's been hanging out on muscle beach. Yeah. And, and, yeah. uh, you know, I, uh, you tell me if you agree with this or not, but do you think that there's that excellent taxidermy is somewhere in between there where, you know, there's nothing, of course, uh, um, anatomically, is that the word I'm looking for? There's, there's, yeah. no, there's nothing anatomically incorrect on it. Number one, um, where everything looks good. So there's no distractions, but number two, there's nothing, um, not unnatural about it either. You know, um, and then, so trying to find that balance point and then focusing on the, the fine details of the mount itself, the mouth, the nose, the eyes, um, things like that. Uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm curious and learning about is, you know, um, what are some of the things that go through y'all's mind before you say, yes, this looks great. Um, it's ready to be picked up. I can't share all my secrets, man. There's other taxidermists <laughs> listening. Well, <laughs> I mean, no, it, you know, it, it, one thing if you watch, if you look at our website, and it, it, this goes to the CWD thing, kind of jumping ahead, and you look at our video. You know, we had a professional video uh, videographer come in, and we shot like eighteen or twenty minute video, just trying to prepare our Texas hunters or any of our out of state hunters on, you know, the proper way or the way that we prefer you to take an animal out. I mean, it, it kind of and and. I'm, I'm gonna say this, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump to where it really really starts. But the um, you know, like our incision, we 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 probably use a little bit different incision than some of the other taxidermists around us. I, I know we do, mm-hmm. um, but we we use a certain incision because we can we can make this incision and we can have a single stitch, and we can also use our incision to where it doesn't cut through hair follicles and our hair falls back over our stitch. That way, you don't see an incision line whenever you get your deer back. Or you don't have a mohawk up the back of his neck that he yeah. didn't have whenever he was running around in the woods chasing the doe. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
you know, and, and, and just and, and talking about little things like that, I'm, I'm going to roll back. And if you go to our website and, and, and you hear anything that my dad and I preach, we always talk about field prep. And, I mean, any taxidermist will tell you that, you know, that we, that we can only work our magic as good as, as the animal that's brought into our studio, you know. And it really takes good field care and good field prep to get a good quality mount. I mean, you, you can't drag it behind your four-wheeler 250, 400 yards yeah. and, and, you know, drag all the hair off his shoulder and expect to get a deer back that, you know, has hair there. I mean, and then, you know, these deer, we, what we see a lot of times, too, is like, you know, deer killed late in a rut. I mean, their briskets rubbed off. And, and you know, in the excitement of the time of the hunt, you know, the hunter, he don't see that. You know, he's got those antlers in his hands and he's yeah. thinking about, man, when, when's this bud light going down my throat? <laughs> you know, I'm celebrating. And he doesn't see all the hair that's rubbed off of the off the brisket, and you know we get it in there, and you know from Mother Nature doing its thing, yeah. um, you know I, I, we can't put that back on there. So, the but you know the field prep and taking care of the animal properly ensures you, you know, that you're going to have a good specimen to bring into the taxidermy company, which only makes it that makes our job that much easier to ensure that you get a good quality bounce back. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, back to the details and things, I just wanted to put a little light on that. Just make sure you take care of your animals in the field. Um, I don't throw them in the back of your truck and drive them around town for a day or two trying to show you buddies how good your deer is at your field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take care of it. Get it to your tax term as fast as possible. you probably get it back quicker and it would be a better mount. But, the um, you know, little things that we, that, that we like to see, you know, one of the things I was talking about, you know, was the um, – you know, the incisions that we make, you know, we, we always try to advise our, our clients to, to skin them, a, skin them a, a different way, too. You know, when we hunt Africa or we go on these big hunts in Canada and different places, I mean, most of, these, most of the time when we kill a, um, an animal that we're going we're gonna to mount, if, if we can't save the entire hide or skin on that animal and to get it back to our studio and then, you know, let us cut it where we want it, where we want it cut, mm-hmm. we, uh, we make a ring right around the center of the body. That way, we know that we're far enough back. Because a lot of these new mannequins on the market these days, they have scalloped backs. You're getting a whole lot more bang for the buck. Um, you know, just a whole lot more to work with. And there's a lot more options out there. So you have to sell yourself short. Yeah. By, you know, making some improper cut. Um, so, you know, we if you do want to cut the deer, you know, we always recommend you know cut it at least in half. Make a ring around the center of the body. Mm-hmm. And then we always try to get our clients to ring the legs. And, you know, some people do make a mistake whenever that happens. They ring it up at the top of the leg, and then all of a sudden you got a hole that you can stick a football through. Yeah. Um, we always want it rung around the joint, which would be kind of like the elbow. Okay. And then socks, sock skin it out. Um, you know, then that gives us two good handles to hold on to. That also ensures that, you know, when you're splitting down the back of the leg, if you're one of those splitting down the back of the leg guys, that you don't slip. And you don't happen to cut across that brisket, because like I was saying, these new more, these new mannequins on the market, they have a whole lot more shoulder, they have a whole lot more brisket, and um, that's things that can just really affect the quality of the mount. So, yeah. so it's uh, always take your time, and be careful. It's always better to give more than less, right? Oh, so, absolutely. If you can let the tax terms make the cut, then you're 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 in a good place. Yeah, I've, see, I've I've heard you know you want to be six inches behind the shoulder or six inches behind the legs or something like that. I you know. I think it's a little easier to remember to just, um, you know, like you said, pretty much ring it in half, right at the halfway point of the deer, probably the, oh, yeah. the, the back half of the of the belly, 
um, do a ring all the way around the back to the brisket cut, do that, uh, that ring cut around the, the two front leg joints. And then like you said, sock cape it out. And, uh, that's probably the safest yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Um, watching these new wall pedestals, man, they, they really have their scallop backs and they sweep way back and we, we need a lot of cape if that's something that you're going to do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the more the merrier for sure. Um, I mean, if you can bring the whole thing, let us cut it where it needs, where it needs cutting and, uh, just to ensure that we can, we can fulfill your request. So. Gotcha. Well, um, so that was one of the main things I wanted to talk about. Cause you know, I do like, I do like for people to learn stuff on the podcast. And like I said, I'm, I've not, I've never been a huge taxidermy guy myself. I've, you know, I've only got one shoulder mount. Um, everything else goes to European mounts. I had two ducks that I, like I said, I screwed up and they'll never be mounted. But, um, you know, whenever I get some more that are uh, worthy of being mounted, I'll be sure to get them over to you. But, um, I wanted people to be able to walk away from this podcast if they didn't, if they were unsure of where they should be cutting and how they should be cutting for, um, for, uh, an excellent mount. I hope they, they learn that on today's show. Um, so yeah, let's... and if anybody if anybody wants to reference any of that, they can go to our website, at, you know, stevegerman.com, dot com on yeah. our homepage. It, it has all of our CWD information, which we'll hit in a minute. But it, it also has you know that, that video I was talking about. I think it's eighteen or twenty minutes, and you can fast forward through it, and you can you can get a really good idea on on the proper cut. Do you want to cape it out yourself, or um, you can you can see pretty much on the on the deer that we're working with how much cape is is really needed and required. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's, so let's talk about the CWD regulations. Um, and, uh, you know, actually before we get started in that, um, we haven't released any articles on this lately, but, you know, just to inform some of our listeners, Mississippi about three weeks ago found their second case of CWD. And then, uh, this week, this is the last week in November when we're recording this this week, they just found a doe that had it. And it was up, um, I think it was getting close to Holmes County, if I'm not mistaken, Mississippi. So I know a lot of our listeners hunt in Mississippi a lot. Um, You know, that was a big, huge story uh, last year, a huge thing last year. It shut down a couple of parishes from feeding uh, uh, around those Mississippi counties on the eastern part of the state. But um, they just found their third case of CWD. And uh, so, you know, I would be... (laughs) I would be willing to bet that we might have even some more strict regulations because now you've got it in Texas, um, you've got it in uh, Mississippi. It's been found, so uh, we don't have any confirmed cases here in in Louisiana yet. But I'm sure, uh, you know, it's kind of just a matter of time until something pops up on our side of the our side of the fence. Um, but, yeah, we're it's something we're definitely going to have to adapt to. You know, I mean, it's it's new regulation. It, it kind of slapped us in the face last year. Yeah, and we kind of we kind of we were kind of right there on the front lines trying to pitch resolve and, and just give the department different ideas and sit down with legislatures and and you know trying to plead our case and and trying to salvage business and, and different things and trying to help out our Louisiana hunters that do hunt out of state. Yeah, tell us what y'all what y'all have done to help out your your customers to help them kind of circumnavigate the regulation, but still get it, still get their deer mounted by y'all. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're able, we're able to kind of satisfy one gate and that's I-10. Smart yeah. hunters coming, coming in out of Texas. Um, that was one of the main reasons that we put a big, you know, big production on our website with the, the cape and out instructions. Cause we do have a lot of hunters that hunt the Midwest and 
that that do travel abroad. And um, so we, um, you know, last year what we did, um, it was it, it was a tough it was a tough year for us, you know, because we're right here close to the Texas border. A lot of these a lot of these guys, that our clients that are right here close to Lake Charles and around in the surrounding area, they they all hunt Texas. There's a tremendous amount of people over here that, that travel west. Yeah, and I you can't blame them, but um, no. So you know, we we were looking at you know fifty sixty percent of our deer that come in annually. You know, we're wondering what's fixing to happen. So just being proactive, um, you know, and working with the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries and, and trying to figure out what our 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 best case scenario was. My dad and I we we decided we were going to open a drop off facility in Orange, Texas. You know, if if you can't bring them through the door, we'll be waiting at the steps. Yeah. So that's what we that's what we did last year. We we rented a facility on the north side of I ten right there in Orange, and um, we we opened up a drop off facility. We hired new employees and different things to run the facility. And I mean, you know, it was a, it was it was a big burden. Um, it, it was not the uh, it, when you think of opening up new locations and and growing the business, opening up a location and, and hoping that you hit par is not what is, is you know that's not in the scope. You know, you're hoping for increase. Yeah. We were looking for a 15 to 20, 30 percent increase in volume to to swallow up some of that expense that we had going out, and it was pretty substantial last year. And um, you know, last year the department and I understand they Department of Wildlife they they didn't want to really, you know, they wanted to inform more people and go out there and and, and really cite a lot of people and um. You know, and that was the best thing. You know, we needed to educate our hunters, and and you know, they need to make sure to know that the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries isn't out there to get them. That you know, we need to educate our hunters and make sure CWD stays out of our state. But you know, we, like I said, we were proactive. We opened up the facility. We did what we did, and we accommodated a lot of our our clients. And and we we did bring in a few new clients, but it, it wasn't what we were hoping to see to maybe give us give ourselves a permanent fixture in East Texas. Yeah. So in March, we shut that facility down. And we we met with Ty's taxidermy, um, Al and Ty Weaver over in Vider, Texas. Great father and son company, real comparable to our to our taxidermy facility. Like I said, great people. Um, my dad and I had a lot in common with them. We'd been known through the industry, but just not on the personal level that we do know them now. Um, so we went to them and we we told them said, hey, you guys, uh, we we got an opportunity for you, and hopefully you can help us as well. And and they were they were more happy to entertain the idea of you know exclusively seeing our deer come back into our state and get to our facility. So they're our official drop off facility in East Texas now. So um, we have a tremendous Southeast Texas clientele as well. So it just makes us even more accessible for those people that have used us over the years. But um, you know, with that being said, um, you know, ties like I was saying, they're very comparable in in, the, in their quality and in the volume of work that they do. Mm-hmm. They are very professional. They run late hours, so it's it's very convenient for our clients that are coming in from out of state. Um, I think they open at nine thirty, and at this time of year, they go all the way to like seven o'clock, and they're there on the weekends. Wow. So that really really helps people traveling in. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to worry about things, you know. Whenever you're dropping off there, you know, no money exchanges hands. You go in, you let them know that hey, my my mount's going to Steve German's taxidermy yard. I want a shoulder mount or I want a European mount or whatever it might be, and they're mm-hmm. going to properly cape it out and make it legal and compliant to come into the state, you know, and get your trophy closer to home. So that's, that's what great. we've got going on now. And um, it, it, we've got a great relationship and partnership with Ties over there. And, um, you know, we look forward to working with them in the years to come. That's great. So, so, 
So y'all y'all been doing that this whole season, and it's going well, huh? Oh, it's going it's going well. Yeah, you know when we 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 really quiz we we quiz all our clients, and what, what we do is uh, we've got freezing facilities and everything that we brought the ties. They have all our invoice and tagging systems, and you know they they properly measure our gear whenever they're taping them out, and and they um you know once we you know about every week or every week and a half we go over there and we we pick up what we have waiting, clean out the freezer and get it back over. I think this past Monday I brought back like 21 shoulder mounts. Wow. Know, 10, or, 10 or 15 European mounts. I mean, it, it's working really, really smoothly. It's, it's, it's a whole lot better system than what we had last year whenever, you know, we had to hire and train. I mean, these guys are professionals. They've been doing it for a long time and, and they do good work. So yeah, our, our trust is there. Our, our clients are seeing that as well. And, um, it's, it's I think it, it I wish we'd have had it going last year, just to put it that way. Yeah, I hear you. Well, did did y'all um did your facility that you had over there, did it kind of fall victim to the flood that happened uh, last <laughs> August? No, so look, it it the water got right up to the bottom of it. I, I couldn't believe it. Wow. And um you know, when the when the water finally receded I I drove over there expecting the worst and I walked in and I'm like, I can't believe it. That's that's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it came up all in the parking lot, surrounded the little building. It probably got up to the seals, but uh, no water got in it. But, you know, the, so we, we cruise along, and we get into the winter, and we get that real hard freeze. Mm-hmm. And whoever had plumbed that little building, they had um, they put risers up above all the valves, all the faucet valves. So water got trapped up above everything inside the line. We shut the water off, and... Um, we bled everything down, and somehow, and what they did, it, it trapped water, and it, it it cracked the copper, and whenever we got there and we turned the water back on and everything, it flooded the facility. Oh. So, <laughs> it, was a, it was a mess, but, um, so it, it was a freeze that got us, not the flood, but yeah, Jeez. unfortunately for all those people, that was a big hit for them. That's awful. I hate to hear that. Well, y- y'all were renting that building, or y'all owned it? No, we rented it. We were actually in March. We were late February and March. We were actually in negotiations. We were we were we were trying to find a piece of property to build on. We were actually talking about buying part of that piece of property that we were renting. And um, at that point in time, you know, that's when Dad and I kind of said, you know, we, this is just so fresh and so new, and we don't know what's to come. Let's let's maybe go a yeah a different route before we build a, a permanent picture over here. And um, so that's that's when we did that. But yeah, we were written that facility at the time. Well, you 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 survived the flood, and then you didn't survive the winter. That's uh, the winter. Winter got us. That's so. awful, man. Well, I hated to hear. I hated to hear that. I'd heard about that, and and uh, I hated to hear that. But you know, it sounds like things are going really well with ties. Um, that's a good partnership that y'all have. Very unique uh and entrepreneurial approach to a, a tough situation because uh-huh. you know you, you know every taxidermist in the state that has clients that hunt out of state which is every taxidermist in the state is going through some sort of issue um with the cwd regulations on bringing deer back to the state um and so you know i've got a lot of respect for y'all for coming up with such a unique and um and well thought out uh solution to that problem so uh i think that's just just a testament even further to the reason why y'all have been in business for over 40 years and 
And uh, while I'm sure y'all will continue to be in business for possibly another 40 or until y'all get tired of mounting so many birds and deer every day, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, well, uh, so, you know, we talked about, we talked about quality, the history of Steve Germans. We talked about, um, kind of some tips on caping out things and caping out animals and, and making sure you're giving your taxidermist enough to work with. Um, is there anything else that you can think of that we need to kind of cover for, for our listeners today that, you know, kind of some takeaways for them this season that we maybe missed? You know, you know, about the best piece of advice that I can give you and I can give anybody out there listening is, um, invest a few dollars and ride around and look at the work that you're going to get. I mean, that, that mount, you're preserving the memory like we talked about earlier, and it's going to be hanging in your house for a long time. It's going to be something you're going to pass down to your kids and possibly your grandkids. Yeah. So invest a few dollars in fuel. Ride around and look at what you're going to get. You know, cheap's not always the best. I think there's you know, there's an old saying that says, what the, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the, the sweetness of low prices. Yeah, forgotten. that's a good one. So, well, I've, you know, that... Yeah, something, something yeah. along with that... Um, uh, you, what is it? There's good, fast, and cheap. You can have two, but you can't have all three. No, you can't have all three. You can have and, it. You can have it good and fast, and it won't be cheap. You can have it cheap and fast, well, and it won't be good. You know, and that's that's the two. A two. You just hit on uh, two of the, the the big questions that you get, and you know, a lot of those. <laughs> when we get those questions, usually the the phone gets slammed down in our ear. But and those questions are <laughs> how much. And how fast? And you know that's not necessarily that's not necessarily our our target demographic in our company. Yeah. Um, you know we're we pride ourselves on the quality of work that we turn out, and and that's the guys that we want. We want we want those guys that appreciate that, um, because we're not going to be the cheapest by any means. We try to set the bar around like Charles. I'll tell you that straight, just straight up. Yeah. You know I mean we we pride ourselves on on the quality, and and that's what we do. Um, you know, national average on taxidermy turnaround, you know, it's probably somewhere close to 12 months. Um, so, I mean, don't always go off of, you know, how fast. A lot of times if it's, if, it, if it's real, real, real quick, it's probably because that taxidermist doesn't have a whole lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> they're cutting corners. That's a good point. So, yeah. you know, um, <clears throat> you know, our average, you know, even with the amount of volume that we do, it, it's usually, you know, you're getting your stuff back within about eight months. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we usually... We usually start the year saying four to six. Usually Thanksgiving takes after Thanksgiving. We we get a lot in, so it usually rolls us back into about a six to eight month turnaround. But you know, even that three hundred deer down the line, they're usually getting them back in about eight months. Well, um, don't well, hold me to that, and, and don't hold any taxidermist to their turnaround. I mean, most you know that's an ETA estimated. Yeah. Um, you know, there are certain variables that come into play. I mean, we get hit with things too, just like anybody else. You know, illness and you know, or, or just there's some projects that we tackle that. You know, we we run into obstacles that we wouldn't expect, and then the project takes longer than, than what we anticipated. So, well, when it comes to lead um, times, what um, what's y'all's process of getting in touch with with people? Are are people dropping off their mount, let's say today, and then they hear from you in eight months when it's ready to pick up, or, or do you give them some indication that hey, we got it out, it's thawing, it'll be ready in two weeks? <laughs> no, we don't. We don't give any indication. Every time a tax jump has to pick up the phone, <laughs> progress is slowed down. <laughs> So, you know, that that's sort of the things that, that we that we all cringe when the phone rings and that guy goes, Hey man, you told me it was gonna be ready two weeks ago. Well, yeah, and and now it's gonna be two more days because I'm having to answer that phone. You know, I was right in the middle of, of, of putting this thing together and making it look alive again. <laughs> that's funny. But um, you know, it, 
give you give you taxidermist patience. You know, it's it's just like an artist. You know, I'm, anybody that collects art. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an Elton Louvier, David Moss, Tony Bernard guy. You know, mm-hmm. we're artists in our profession, and and that's what we're doing. We're you know we're we're not just sticking them on the mannequins and then just running them through a production line. You know, it, this is this is all of our special touch. This is years of experience and, and learning to put the life back into that animal so that it'll last you a lifetime and it'd be something you'd be proud to look at every time you look up there and reflect the hunt. Yeah, um, and, and you know, yeah, when when you've got with a taxidermist, when you've got it on the wall five years from now, that extra two weeks or extra month and a half or so hmm. is negligible. You know. Yeah, um, I, and believe me. I, I want the money in my checking account. I don't want it in yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want it done as quickly as possible also so you can get paid, of course. Absolutely. You know? yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. So, so now it's um you know, we, we love working with people, we love working with the public and but that you know, that's you know uh, whenever a tax service gets pestered, you know, all all they're doing is just slowing down the progress and, and you know, it's it's delaying everybody else's mounts from getting to them on a timely fashion. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I understand. I understand the anxiety and 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 wanting to get it back. You know, absolutely. I I do understand that side too. So, well, uh, man, I think I think we covered a lot today. This has been an episode I've been wanting to do for a long time, and um, you know, this is a little different from some of the other episodes we've done. Um, kind of, kind of, kind of follows behind the one we did with the and Wild Game Processing, where you know, kind of after the kill, how do you take care of your meat? How do you ensure the best quality edible product um, after your kill? And and this just segues into that even better with you know, how do you preserve something for the rest of your life, and how do you take care of it after you kill it so that it'll it'll stay uh, in good condition forever? So you know, I appreciate yeah. you being on with me, man. Um, and, uh, you know, you got anything else that you want to add before we wrap it up? And not that I can think of, like, like I said, you know, b- you know, before we, we kind of got into what we just got into, it was just, you go look around with the work and just make sure you know what you're getting and, um, you know, happy hunting and good luck to everybody out there. And, you know, hopefully, uh, we get a chance to meet you. Anybody that's coming through Lake Charles, the Westlake area, stop by our facility. We've got a 1,500-square-foot trophy room full oh, of yeah. all of our personal stuff. And, you know, that's one thing, too. You can, you know, you go to a taxidermist and ask them to see, you know, what you get to see what we're mounting for, for, our, for us, you know, our personal animals. They're right there. You know, our trophy room sits right next to our work area. Yep. Uh, you, can, you can walk back and forth. We don't care. We encourage people to come in and check it out. But, you know, go compare what's hanging in our trophy room, the things that, you know, I've I've either killed my dad, my wife, my kids, and then go compare it to what you know our clients are getting, and you're not going to see any variation. It's the same thing rolling out. So yeah, you know, it's, we're not going to try to sell you on competition quality. Now, competition is a totally different level in itself. Um, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks to win a competition. You know, and then a commercial end tax term, but you're not you're not you're not paying for a competition mount. You know, competition mounts would be thousands and thousands of dollars. So yeah, you know, know what you're looking at. You know, make sure you're happy with the quality. That way you're not disappointed when you get it back. And um, you know, take care of your animal in the field, and I think you'll be happy. Absolutely, man. Well, Josh, I appreciate the call, man. Um, I appreciate you being on the show. Let's uh, let's catch up soon, all right? Absolutely. I all appreciate right, it as well. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, Tyler. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see y'all next week.